Hello, everyone. This is Speaking Up with Andrew Pledger. And this podcast allows people to share their stories of abuse and religious trauma in various religions and cults. Some guests come on the show to discuss specific topics to educate and bring awareness. Discussions will range from purity culture, mental health, religious trauma, Christian culture, deconstruction, spirituality, and much more. Now, let's get into this episode of Speaking Up with Andrew Pledger. Hello, everyone. I am so excited to introduce the guest today, Katie Tova. She was not raised Christian, but converted of her own accord when she was 16. After 10 years in toxic communities, she pulled out and decided to convert to liberal Judaism after a long period of spiritual seeking. Katie is now working as a human rights activist, focusing primarily on cults, disability rights, and LGBTQ plus rights. Katie lives in the Midwest with her partner and her amazing service dog, Vegas. Thank you so much, Katie, for coming on the show today. Oh my gosh, Andrew, I am so excited to be here. Um, yeah, I just I just can't thank you enough. Um, a heads up to all of our listeners. Um, I'm hard of hearing. I wear hearing aids and I am using captioning um, for recording this episode, but sometimes it doesn't get everything exactly right. And if there's something I don't understand, I'm going to ask Andrew to type it for me. So if there's a lag between when each of us speak, that's why. And I'll, and I'll say something like, Andrew, could you type that for me so you guys will know what's going on? All right. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And yeah, I am so excited to dig into your story today. How are you feeling? Good. Thank you. Of course. Yeah. So I'd love to start, you know, in the beginning with everyone's story. So yeah. what what was your childhood like? Um, I hate this word, but I don't really have a better one. So I'm going to go with it. Um, I guess you could call the first part of my childhood pretty average in a lot of ways, you know, mom, dad, sister, pets, etc. Um, we didn't really have any particular religion. And so when I was younger, I didn't really have any negative associations with it. Um, really, my only exposure to religion at that point was um, a family a couple houses down we were friends with um the dad was a a mainstream lutheran minister very very liberal denomination they were not really what you'd call evangelical so they weren't pushy at all so religion was kind of just on the outskirts of my radar i guess um i have autism and my mind put people into two groups church people and not church people. And as I said, there were no negative associations with religion at that point. That was merely descriptive, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yes. And so 
how did you get involved with religion then? Well, to understand that, you have to understand what it was like growing up with undiagnosed autism in the Mm. 90s. Um, I'm 35, for the record. I was diagnosed in 2001 at age 13, which today is considered a pretty late age for diagnosis. But unfortunately, for girls at the time, it was the pretty standard age. Um, So I, I grew up feeling like a complete outcast um in in like fourth through sixth grade some of the bullying was so bad I would get like death threat notes in my desk and I will spare you Mm. the details but it was not pretty um and so you can you can see how from that standpoint a child might want to be homeschooled. I mean, I know full well that homeschooling is, can be very problematic, but for disabled kids having a really tough time, like I didn't have the opportunity because, you know, both my parents were divorced and single, so they couldn't really do it, but I would beg for it all the time because I, I absolutely hated going to school. Um, I, I did okay um, before we moved um, in grades one through three, I um, went to a private kind of Montessori style school and I did phenomenally well there. Um, they had smaller classes and they really cracked down on derogatory treatment of other kids. Um, and the other reason that worked well is um, I read like two grades ahead of my actual numerical grade. And in the Montessori school, they had a lot more opportunity um, to read at my grade level. And math was quite behind. I, I don't know roughly what grade level, but I you couldn't say I was where I was normally supposed to be. And when we moved when I was nine, it all went to hell because that's when I was in the public school. And then and then it all felt was breaking loose. Um, and teachers didn't understand how I could read so well, but math was just like looking at a bunch of gibberish. Um, so, and I got teased for that too. So, so yeah, by the time I was 16, I just really didn't feel like I fit in anywhere. And I especially didn't know what my life after high school was going to look like. And I was, I was in a really bad place is how I'll say that. Mm, Yeah. I'm so sorry that you went through that. That is so, so terrible. And of course, and like, I can understand, like you're in that vulnerable place where you have social needs not being met and looking Mm -hmm. for some community to fill that and so I know like I said you had those needs so how going forward how did you come across the group that you became involved with um it started um the second semester of 10th grade um so if we're trying to build a timeline, that would have been like spring of 2004. And um, I was in this theater class and it was actually a pretty fun experience. That's, that's a whole other thing, but yeah, it was, it was actually one of my few positive experiences. And 
um, I met a guy and a girl in the class and they were in um, a Bible study that they helped lead. And um, this was before the hardcore fundamentalism. This is what I would call more mainstream evangelical um, and different kids had different degrees of liberalness based on their views of different things. Um, so they, um, you know, kind of befriended me. They could tell I was in a rough place. And um, I think at that point, like, I, I do think it was genuine. I think they thought they could help me. They, I think they genuinely did want to help me. Um, so that's how that came about. Mm, and so what were some life-changing experiences in that group? Um, I guess you could say I had more of a life than I'd ever really had, um, before. Um, I've, I've all, I had always been a very open, open-minded person. Um, I, I have people in my life now who are like, how'd you get into a cult? You're so open-minded. And, you know, the, it's, it wasn't the difference in ideology. It was, it sounds so cliche, but I, I felt like I needed to fit in. That is a very human need. And so like having, having a social life, having things to do and having people to do them with, like, I hadn't really had that before. I was, I was so isolated. Um, because this was, you have to remember, like, this was when cognitive neuroscience was in the dark ages, particularly for autism. So this, I guess the whole thing was life-changing socially and then recreationally. I just had so much more to do, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so what were some more specific instances of that in that group? Um, learning how to pray, I guess. Um, I have always felt like there was a part of me that could and wanted to connect with something bigger, um, whatever one may, may call that. Um, at the time, I called it God as a, as a practicing Jew. I, I still call it God, but um, there, there's other Hebrew names as well. So I've, I've always been very open to that idea. But until I joined this Bible study, I didn't, I guess you could say I didn't really know how to pray. And it wasn't because I didn't want to, it was because I didn't have any kind of framework. And because I wasn't really raised anything um it wasn't exactly something my parents you know were experts on when I was younger um so that was that was life-changing as weird as that sounds no I mean I can definitely understand like prayer can bring people to really like a certain like state of mind and also relaxation and concentration. Yeah, absolutely. 
And I think there are definitely, I mean, there are proven psychological benefits to that, despite what, you know, across all religions and spiritual practices. Yeah. Yeah. I, mm-hmm. I read that somewhere. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I can understand how, yeah, that could be life-changing for you, but you left that group so i'm curious what were some of the, like the red flags that um, stood out to you and kind of made you question um that actually i actually stayed involved in that group until um i graduated from high school um and then after that I I stayed connected with my high school friends, you know, as much as anyone does. Remember, this was in the public school, so we're talking a lot more liberal than the hardcore fundamentalism. That actually came later. Um, so I I went to in in um college, I went to a church and I currently don't want to disclose my uh, specific location. So I'm not going to name the church that uh, planted it, but it was a very famous church that planted it and very fundamentalist. So I would say that church that I went to in college was kind of a step down from what I would get into later. Um, I had a boyfriend in college who I met at that church and they they were more traditional on the dating front um they wanted people to be more toward the courting end of the spectrum um they wanted you to get permission from the elders to start dating and we didn't do that um we that was something we resisted um and there were there were other ideologies we rejected as well, and um, it wound up being a big thing. And they essentially broke us up and told me they were going to blacklist me and not let me date oh. anyone else at that church. And I mean, as as you'll see when I share the rest of um, the the story um i ignored a lot of red flags but i guess that was one like needing permission to date someone i mean like it would be a different story if say i was dating someone and they had a major drug problem and my loved ones were concerned like that would be completely understandable but that's not what we're talking about here Mm, yes and so what were some other red flags that you noticed um the level of control that this was later on after after college um I got involved in the hardcore fundamentalism and that's where I was for my last four years of church involvement I got out in 2014 just for a little context um but during those last four years, the mind control was just so disturbing. Um, there was some event I basically got coerced into going to um, at least 10 years ago, maybe around 2012, somewhere around there. 
Um, and I was coerced into going to this event. And at the time, I had some family stuff going on. And it was the kind of situation where, you know, you have your phone on standby, you don't turn it off in case, you know, your family needs to get a hold of you, you know, whatever. And I uh, discreetly checked my phone during this event. And I had gotten a message from a family member and I needed to call them back. And I had to sneak into the restroom. Yeah, sneak, because they didn't really want us leaving um, the sanctuary. And I listened to the message and between the content of the message and, you know, being tired and traumatized, I just, I just wanted to go home, right? So um, I tried to leave out of a few different doors, but I kept getting caught and people wouldn't let me leave. And I realized I wasn't going to get out of there unless I created some kind of commotion, you know, some kind of diversion. And I found a bucket under the sinks in the bathroom and I uh, filled it up with a little bit of water. And I, I actually threw the bucket down a hallway so it would make a commotion and spill a little bit of water. And I, I snuck out while they were doing that. And I just, even at the time, even though I was kind of ignoring it, like it just felt so weird how much control they had over, you know, your entire being, really. Mm. Wow, that is that's so crazy to me to hear someone trying to stop you from leaving just the building because they don't know what's going on in your life and like you don't have to even tell them that you should have the autonomy to leave so when yeah. you tried when you tried to leave what did they say to you like um well I, in that particular instance no one uh said anything because they didn't know how the bucket got there they didn't know it was me like i I threw it down the other direction. So they, they wouldn't know it was me. So they didn't say anything when I left in that instance, mm -hmm. if that's what you're asking. Yeah. So like before you threw the bucket, you had tried to get out. So what was that first? What did they say to you the first time before you threw the bucket? Oh, um, I think it was, I don't remember exactly. There's so much that my brain is blocked out because um, mm -hmm. god it was just it was awful um mm -hmm. but you know it was something to the effect of you know you could miss what god has for you that that kind of thing um you know and at the time like it was annoying but i didn't really realize how coercive mm. it was how coercive they were in you know how they acted and you know their language how they worded things mm, wow yes and so what, what were some other signs at that point that you started to see um one of the things that really disturbed me was seeing firsthand the cliche that sometimes people hate the things they don't understand mm -hmm. um remember I didn't grow up anything and I always went to regular schools so you know and like 
you know, I, I was in suburbs where it was predominantly white, but not exclusively. And so I saw more cultural and religious and ethnic differences than, you know, say someone who was homeschooled. And so I, you know, I knew enough to know that all the xenophobia and anti-Semitism and, and, and homophobia, I, I knew enough about the world that I rejected all of those things. And what was so sobering in this, in this world, in this cult was seeing these young kids saying some of the most atrocious things about, you know, groups of people they'd never met. Like they would just say such horrible things about, you know, Muslims, Jews, you know, gay people, etc. And I just remember that whenever I heard those comments, you know, if an opportunity presented itself, I'd, I'd pull the kid over and ask them if they'd ever met the kind of person they were, they were making slurs about. And every single time they tell, they'd tell me they never had. And that was, that was really disturbing to me. That was really, really disturbing. Um, and I, would try to explain, you know, that I'd gone to school with and worked with all kinds of people and they're, they're just people like we were, but with the older kids, I could tell, you know, the cults had already gotten them. You know, sometimes I could kind of plant seeds for younger kids to think about, but the older the child was, the more likely they were to reject what I was saying. And it just, it was so disturbing. Mm, yes. And so, for you, what was your process of kind of like deconstructing and leaving that environment? Um, you mean what, um, like what triggered my deconstruction or what did that process involve for me? Yeah, what, what triggered it and what was that process like for you? Um, okay, so... So fast forward from uh, the, the water bucket story, that was in 2012. So fast forward to 2014 and um, there was a lot of church politics crap that had been brewing for a while. And um, at that point I was questioning a lot I was questioning a lot and then there was more drama with the church and they got rid of a couple of staff who I did like and I did respect. Um, it's my opinion that there are good people in every community, even communities that may have some problems. And I, I really respected um, these particular staff members and they were probably deemed too liberal because we had similar views on some things and, you know, losing them was really hard. And I, I realized that things were just going to keep going and going more and more extremist than it already was, if you can imagine that. And I had to move anyway. I had to move anyway. And, um, 
so I was just thinking like, you know, okay, if God still exists or if I have a connection to the universe or however you want to interpret that, like, I think this is a sign it's time for me to be done and get out of that world. Um, at that point, I wasn't necessarily going to leave Christianity. It had become a big part of my life and I was willing to give mainstream denominations such as you know regular lutheranism another try but i i i needed to get out and then not long after i got out um i had a freak reaction to a medical treatment that resulted in basically having to be for in bed for almost six months and uh um yeah not fun zero stars I don't recommend mm. um and so while I was you know in bed for that amount of time you know I was just trying to pass the time so I was like reading and watching um whatever I could and I realized that I, I was reading and watching a lot of stuff about Judaism, and I realized that so much of it kind of aligned with things I did believe if I stopped and got honest with myself. And so I was really putting, converting to mainstream Judaism on the table as as a spiritual option putting it on the spiritual options list um so before I got into Judaism um I did try going to a mainstream Lutheran church uh, amazing pastors lovely people um I had no hard feelings toward anyone when I realized it just wasn't for me there there were a lot of things that were different in good ways but there was enough that was similar that I just I got to a point where I just couldn't do it um and I explained that to a couple people um it was it was a really hard decision to make and in some it almost felt like a breakup as weird as that sounds it was it was not an easy decision to make um but after i left um that that lutheran church that i'd been going to the mainstream lutheran church um i started reading more about judaism and um in 2016 i reached a point where i was like okay i feel like i want to go to a synagogue and see what those services are like and um checking out or joining a synagogue um works slightly differently than going to a church um i mean liberal and moderate synagogues like you you can walk in anyone off the street can walk in it's you know they're you're perfectly welcome but um there's such an emphasis on connection so 
um, many synagogues will encourage you to, you know, email the rabbi, introduce yourself, and sometimes they might even offer, you know, to meet with you just to get to know you. And I did that with the senior rabbi at my at my primary synagogue where I did my conversion, and it was a really different experience because I I felt like they actually wanted to connect with me, you know, for who I was, warts and all, as it were. And so it was, it was a really great life-changing experience. I hope that kind of answers your mm-hmm. question. Yes. And so I'm just curious, what are some of the beliefs and values in Judaism that really stood out to you and made you want to pursue that? Um, that's a really good question. Um, There's a lot of things I appreciate about Judaism. And before I get more into that, um, I need to give the disclaimer that there is a wide variety of views, like even within each uh, strand of Judaism. Um, So a quick religion lesson for those of you who don't know, on the most liberal end of the Jewish spectrum, you have reform. And those are the ones who are going to be much more liberal about following halakha or Jewish law to the letter. And then you have conservative, which has nothing to do with politics. It means middle of the road. And so their their observance is, you know, a couple degrees further to the right. And then you have modern orthodox, orthodox, and ultra ultra orthodox. Um, so for the record, I attend. Um, reform and conservative synagogues. My adherence to Jewish law is more on the reform end, but um, there's a lot, you asked about the values. There's a lot of values I appreciate and um, I don't want to use too much religious jargon, but um, the way they look at human morality and sin really made sense to me. And if I was being honest with myself, like this was an idea I would have always been open to. Um, and that is the the idea that humans are morally neutral, where there isn't a concept like original sin in Judaism. It's, it's very different. Mm-hmm. Um, humans are born with what they call the Yetzer Tov, which is the good inclination, and the Yetzer Hara, which is the evil inclination. So basically that means we have the potential to make wonderful choices or horrible choices. And very few people in this world are black and white. We, we all make really good choices and we all make some whopper bad ones that we're really not proud of. We we all do that. And that's, I feel like that's a much more nuanced way to look at human morality. And, you know, I've studied psychology a lot and it just, it jives with basic psychology too. Um, so that's, that's something I really appreciate. Um, there, there's so many things about I appreciate about Judaism, but that's a big one. Um, another is this concept called tikkun olam, which is Hebrew for uh, repairing the world. And 
there's a variety of ways people can do that. There's a variety of ways I do that, you know, fighting for environmental protection, fighting for, you know, queer rights, you know, any kind of human rights, because another teaching in Judaism is, and this one I'm probably going to butcher, um, everyone is Be'ezet Elohim, created in the image of God even people who are different from us, you know, and it's, and it's our job to help um, engage into Kun Olam in ways that can help people who are being oppressed by the system, even though they don't look like us, like they're, they're still our siblings in humanity, and we still have a moral obligation to help repair the world and repair the damage that has been done in the world, if that all makes sense. Mm. Yes, and it sounds like it's very action-based, and it acknowledges the world we live in to a now. large extent. Yes, yes. Um, I describe Judaism as a very active sort of religion. Um, I I am of the school of thought personally that there can be religious communities that aren't cults. Um. I, I've talked a lot about that on my YouTube channel, which we'll plug at the, um, the end of the show. So Judaism, like the, the nuanced concept of sin doesn't really have anything to do with the afterlife. In fact, there isn't one solid view on what happens after we're done hanging out on this planet, um, there's there's a popular saying in the Jewish world, two Jews, three opinions. So, you know, you're gonna get different answers no matter who you talk to. Um, but but yeah, like we we live in this world, have all kinds of things to deal with in this world. And there's there's so much we can do in the present. And um, it really challenged me because a part of this concept of it being active is being active in local communities and, um, you know, being involved with my synagogues was basically how I started rebuilding a social life after I had escaped because one of the things people, I don't think people talk about this enough, and that is how much you lose when you leave one of these communities. It's like, yes, you have your freedom, but the price of your freedom can be really, really high. And I lost basically every social contact over the past nine years, just gone when I when I mm. left and yeah. there were toxic people where I was just like I can't have you in my life anymore and so um you know overcoming my social anxiety and getting involved in the synagogues um was really really healing um for me and um the other thing I wanted to mention um again I'm I'm talking about Jewish 
approach to religion and I don't want to throw too much jargon out there because I do know this is controversial and triggering but what I do want to say is I started learning um, part of the Torah in Hebrew. I was learning, I took a class, a Hebrew class. I was learning to read um, parts of Genesis or Bereshit um, in Hebrew. And when you read a religious text in its original language, it changes everything because there's so much that just doesn't translate um into English from Hebrew um I'll give you a quick simple example um the words that we have turned into the anglicized names Adam and Eve that's actually not at all what it means in Hebrew um Adam means human and Hava um means life so when you look at it that way you're not looking at a gender binary um you're not looking at a specific six-day literal timeline it's it's much more metaphorical and that's how many jews even some closer to the orthodox end of the spectrum look at that um it's it, it's a much more nuanced approach to religious texts, I guess, is how I would phrase that. Hmm. Yes, and I think it, it can be so helpful to reframe or see new interpretations of yeah, for sure. religious texts, because I know like it could be so damaging when you're given this black and white view of it, and you're not allowed yeah. to explain you're like, oh, you know, they tell you this is the answer, this is the only way, and you're not allowed to explore that. So kind of that control stifles that curiosity. And, and it sounds like you've been able to explore that curiosity and questioning in Judaism. And so I'm curious, what were some lessons that you've learned along the way in your journey? Um... I think my main takeaway from this is that humans are communal creatures by nature. Um, I mean, society in general is less religious than it was, say, 100 years ago. But um, the need for community has nothing to do with religions. The need for community is innate. Like, mm -hmm. you know, in these days you know, people find community in all, all kinds of ways. Um, but that means that there's the potential to get sucked into, you know, groups and ideologies that are problematic um, because people want to fit in. And so, um, yes, that's my main takeaway that we're, we're humans by, we're communal by nature. And it's just, it's so natural to want to connect with with other humans and that's not the bad thing that is very legitimate and it's a very real mm, part yeah. of who we are 
how we're designed. Um, but you know, we we need to go into new ideologies and communities with kind of with the intent of taking it with a grain of salt mm -hmm. until we know what's what. Um, and taking very moderate approaches and being very discerning about what we're getting ourselves into. Mm, yes, most definitely. I think, yeah, going in with that questioning and that open mind can help people from getting sucked into toxic belief systems. And so are there any other important lessons that you felt like you learned? Um, well, this kind of goes along with what I just said, but um, I think another piece of this is, you know, people who feel excluded, who have been excluded, they're more susceptible to getting into bad things. I, I mentioned earlier in this episode that I was living with undiagnosed autism at a time when it was basically seen as a criminal offense. And, you know, so I wanted to fit in on this extreme level. I don't know how to express, and we need to create an inclusive society. We need to teach tolerance because I think of my life as a cautionary tale of what can happen mm. when we aren't tolerant and accepting. It's mm. it's so important. It's tolerance is not just a buzzword. I, and I say what I'm about to say with absolute seriousness. Tolerance saves lives. Mm. That's another big thing that came out of this for me. Mm. Yes, yes, that that is so, so true. And I'm thankful that there are more open-minded and liberal churches out there for people who want to be a part of that community who are trying to be more inclusive Mm -hmm. and make everyone feel welcome because I, you know, I know what you're saying you when you feel excluded and you're not able to find that connection or community it can make you vulnerable to these toxic systems to get you yeah. picked in because all the love bombing that happens all the oh yeah the love bombing yeah that's a big part of all of this yeah yes and so what it advice do you have for people or for children who are stuck in these abusive systems of control yeah um that it's a really good question and i was thinking long and hard about this um if if you're listening to this podcast i'm going to assume you have some degree of access to outside information um, and I would say use this liberally if you have any kind of internet or library access you know educate yourself um, learn about basic current events particularly in your local area learn who is different is currently holding different political offices all that kind of stuff just kind of orient yourself with what's going on and you don't have to agree with everything that you learn about 
and all the people you learn about, but this will help you make some sense of the world and hopefully make you a little less afraid. Because I think sometimes what we imagine can be a lot worse than the reality. Um, I also want to say that depending on what kind of community you are in, you might have been taught some negative things about um, your sexuality or your gender expression. Um, in, the, in the real world, we don't fully understand why there are variations in orientation and expression, but the general consensus in the regular world is that it's just genetics. It's just a thing, like being right-handed or left-handed, your eye color, etc. cetera. Um, you are not sick. There is nothing wrong with you. I'm gonna say that again. You are not sick and there is nothing wrong with you. Um, as for options for legal recourse, um, your age is going to determine your options. Um, if you're under 18, unfortunately, you're not going to have as much legal recourse um, because unfortunately in the US, parental rights hold more weight than children's rights. Uh, this is something that social justice activists like us are working on tirelessly. Um, hear me when I say you are a human being, regardless of your age, and you absolutely deserve to be treated as such. A um, couple more things I, wanna, I want to say uh, to people who are trapped. Um, if you're a minor and you do go to public or private school, um, tell an adult you trust what's going on because teachers and school staff are what's called mandatory reporters, meaning they're required by law to report suspicions of any kind of maltreatment and child abuse to um, the proper authorities. Um, and if you have any visible signs of abuse, such as bruising, uh, please photograph it or have an adult you trust um, photograph it. Um, because if you decide to take legal action, you're going to need these pictures um, for evidence. I, I know it's traumatic and I know it's scary, especially if your community has taught you to be afraid of legal authorities. Um, but they're not going to hurt you. They, they will help you if you go to them from this situation. The system is not perfect, I will readily admit that, but the system is there and the law is absolutely going to be on your side. Um, I also want to say that um, all, of, all of the advice I've given you, um, please evaluate in the context of how dangerous your situation is and um, keep yourself safe. Your safety is of the utmost importance. Um, Andrew, do you have anything you want to add to that? No, I, I think you're doing a great job. So yeah, any more advice that you have, please share. Um, I guess my last piece of advice is that if you have any connections outside 
the cultish community, whether that's, you know, estranged friends, other family members, like go on, go out on a limb and reach out to them. And if you can form a good connection with them, like tell them what's going on. They might need, they might be able to help you. And, you know, if, if you're coming out of a rough situation, they might be able to help you navigate all the complexities of the legal system. I, I reiterate that you have rights. Please use them, utilize them as much as you can. Um, I guess the last thing I want to say to people who are trapped is we know you're trapped. We know that many people are still trapped. We can't change the system overnight, unfortunately, but please know that these kinds of groups have been on the general public's radar for a long time and people are more aware of these issues than you might think. Um, we see you, we care about you, and we are doing everything we can to get as many people out as we can. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing that, Kitty. I think that was great advice. And thank you for coming on the show and being vulnerable and just for your bravery and your courage of getting out and sharing your story. And for people who are interested in connecting with you, where can they reach you? Um, I hang out on a lot of places in internet land. Um, my Instagram is my first and middle name, Katie Tova, and that's Katie with no E and Tova is spelled the way it sounds. T-O-V as in Volkswagen, A-H. And for Instagram, that's all one word, lowercase, Katie Tova. Um, my Facebook page is the same name, Katie Tova, Katie with no E. Um, I can be reached by email. Um, same spelling, katie.tova, katie with no E, katie.tova at gmail.com. And I'm on YouTube as Katie Tova with capitals. All right. And I'll be sure to link your socials in the descriptions. But thank you again so much, Katie, for coming on the show. You're welcome. Thanks again for having me. Of course. And for everyone listening, this was Speaking Up with Andrew Pledger. Thank you for listening to Speaking Up with Andrew Pledger. Your support is much appreciated. Please leave a review and share with friends and family. And if you can, please support me on Patreon. And the link is in my description. Thank you so much for listening to Speaking Up with Andrew Pledger.